Welcome to Faith Bible College International's podcast, where we share spirit-filled preaching, teaching, and encouragement. For everyone living to make a world of difference in their life and the lives around them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Originally aired on October 26, 2020. Pastor Marcus Meekum comes to us from Florence, Kentucky, just outside of Cincinnati. And uh, I got to meet him for the first time last year, and we've been in communication ever since. And I'm so grateful that he was able to make a last-minute change to make sure that this happened today. Got into Bangor about 11.30 last night and uh, was up and ready to hit it today. And we're going to full afternoon for him as well. But uh, I would, as I always tell you and encourage you guys to do this, connect with everybody that's coming through here. Either connect with them on any of the social media platforms, but you want to stay in tune with what's going on at Seven Hills. Uh, Pastor Marcus, you, was, you started there in 2007, is that correct? And how many people were attending the church at the time? about 500 people, and now, well, as of pre-COVID, pre-COVID, there were, have been between 5,500 to 6,000 butts in seats people in that church. How many know God is moving in Florence, Kentucky down there? Isn't that awesome? It's so good. But I love the spirit that he has, the excellence, uh, his insight, and look at guys, look guys, look here, you're spoiled today. You're spoiled because there's a lot of things going on in his life. They're all good, but he made time to come here because he really has heard about you, heard about what God is doing here, has heard from his other friends that have preached here. I'm going to ask you to give a warm Faith Bible College family welcome to Pastor Marcus Meekum. Let's get ready to hear from the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. You guys doing good? Doing all right? You ready for your week? It's Monday. For pastors, this is when our, this is supposed to be our, like our Saturday. This is what, that's what today's supposed to be. And so your, day, your week's just getting started. My week's supposed to be over. So I'm not even going to have an end. It's just, I'm just going to run right through. Uh, but it's so good to be here. Your pastor, or I, I, what, how would you say that? Because it's, how, how, yeah, Pastor Matt, um, he was so persistent. He would not let me up. He, let, let me go. He's like, you got to come. You got to come. You got to come. And I've never been to Maine. I flew through Maine one time. And so I keep asking him to show me stuff. I'm like, just show me cool stuff. I've never been to Maine. So you have a beautiful area here. This is a spectacular, um, just driving by here to think about the vision that somebody had at some point and to watch that vision still be producing fruit in your life is pretty incredible. And so uh, thank you for allowing me to come and hang out. Thank you, Pastor Matt. And I just met his beautiful bride. Thank you for hanging out with me too. And so we're going to have a good time. You ready? Open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10. And I want to uh, take a different approach to something you've, if you've been in church any time at all, you've heard the compare and contrast between King Saul and King David. I don't think two men have been compared more than these two men have. And so I want to upfront say that if I had heard a pastor get up and say he was going to compare those two people, I would shut off. I'd be like, I'm done with the King Saul, King David comparison. So, so I want to begin by saying, I get it. I understand. I would probably be shutting down as well, but I'm going to, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it in a little bit of a different way. I'm going to look at not their life, but I want you to look at their Genesis. Most of you are just getting going in life. You're about to 
you know, maybe meet your spouse. Maybe you already have, have a family. Uh, some of you are preparing to go into y- your life, your ministry, your career. And so um, I feel like the genesis of both King Saul and King David need to be looked at. What made them who they were? So before we read all the details about them, what made them who they were is something I've never really seen in the way that I'm going to hopefully pull out to you. And so, uh, so just dig into it with me and I think it'll help you. I think it'll help you. So first Samuel chapter 10, verse one, it says, Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. And he said that the Lord has anointed you to be a ruler over his inheritance. And he goes through when you leave today, everybody say today, Several things happen. You can read through this, but I'm just going to just for time's sake, go through it real quick. Um, says that he's going to meet several men uh, that are actually a procession of prophets is what verse five goes into. And they're going to be playing lyres and timbrels and pipes and harps, which, by the way, the worship was outstanding today. It was just incredible. Just so anointed. Um, just just did not expect that incredible, incredible um, time of worship today. And they were playing before God and they were prophesying and the spirit of the Lord came on them powerfully. And the Bible says that Saul prophesied with them and it says that he was changed into a different person. And once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. Now, real quick, I want you to notice this too, and then we'll move on. It says in verse eight, that I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but offerings, but you must wait seven days. Everybody say seven days. So he said today, so one day, and now we're looking at seven days, I'll come to you and tell you what you are to do. And in my Bible, it's just my Bible right under that. It says Saul was made King. Uh, your, Your Bible has those little big, bright, little helps you know what you're talking, what you're about to read about. Mine says Saul was made King. So so now turn with me real quick and then we'll just talk. I'm a, I'm, I'll be done going through the, the scriptures, even though I love to do it. But for your sake, for your attention span's sake, we'll just talk. Verse 13, uh, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. I want you to see the similarities. Again, they're Genesis. We're looking at their Genesis, their beginning. Samuel, same prophet that just prayed over King Saul. It's the same guy. Notice he gets... A horn of oil, just like he did with, with Saul. Now he's doing that with David. And he anoints him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, notice the similarities. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, just like it had Saul. And so then all of a sudden, everything that you see happen from that point on changes drastically between these two guys. But their genesis is very similar in that The prophet Samuel anoints both of them. He anoints them both with oil. They're both prophesied over that they're going to be these powerful future leaders in the nation of Israel. So it's clear that they're chosen. It's clear that uh, there's a calling for greatness on their lives and that there is a moment that the path is set for each of these guys to eventually become these significant leaders. And so I want to do this today. I want to talk to you about the power of your path, the power of your path. There is incredible power in the path that you're on right now. God 
has a way of taking each of us and accomplishing what he wants to do in our lives through the path that he puts us on. Why don't you say that with me? Say, there's power in my path. Your path is your process. Your path is your training. Your path is everything that God wants to do in your life. He will work it into you through the path that he's put you on. The way God mentors you is through your path. A lot of people say, I want God to tell me what to do. If he'll make it clear to me, then I'll get to work. If he'll talk to me about what he wants me to do, then then I'll walk things out. But God usually to mentor us does more than talk with us. He has to get involved in our life and he has to start walking with us. And the way he does this is through this concept, this idea that the Bible calls our path. There's over 2000 references in the Bible to our path. Some of the most famous ones are Proverbs three and verse six and all your ways acknowledge him, right? Lean not on your own understanding. And what does the Bible say? He will direct your path. The Bible says your word, God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's paths of life. There's a path of justice. There's a path of righteousness. There's a smooth path, a crooked path, straight paths, paths through the seas. There's a path of mercy. There's the paths of the wicked. There's ancient paths in the Bible. There's the path of a sinner. There's the path that drips with abundance. That's a good one. There's a path of destruction. But your path is the way that God meant towards you. So on your path, there's friends, that God sends into your life and there's enemies that God sends into your life. On your path, there's demons, there's spiritual attacks. On your path, you'll be walking along and there's gonna be a pitfall over here and a trap over here. Along the path, there's gonna be things you don't understand. My brother said it earlier, there's gonna be the whys, there's gonna be the questions, there's going to be uh, the confusion, you don't get it, you don't understand. There's going to be losses along the way, you'll make mistakes along the way, you will fail more than you'll ever want to acknowledge today along the way. There's going to be great pain. There's going to be great disappointment. There's going to be all these moments that you'll experience. And God uses all of these moments to mentor us. Every step you take, God uses everything you encounter as an opportunity to mentor you. The old song says it like this. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his friend. And so we looked at the idea of of Saul and his beginning and David and his beginning. And so let's just look back at Saul's beginning real quick together. Saul is out, the Bible says, looking for some donkeys that he has misplaced. He's on donkey patrol. And as he's out looking for these, these animals that he's somehow lost, The prophet Samuel sees him. God says to Samuel, this is the king that the people have been wanting. I want you to go anoint him to be king over Israel. And the Bible says in the passages that we read, we actually said these things out loud, that Saul in one day, he becomes an overnight success. He becomes a leader in one day. He goes from donkey patrol to a guy that's hanging out with prophets. He's prophesying. He's changed into a different person. He's given a brand new heart. All of that happened in one day. And then the Bible says he is a king over an entire nation in seven days. So when you read about Saul's beginning, at least how I look at life, 
I think to myself, man, who wouldn't want that? You go from being a nobody to the leader of a nation in a day. You go from being on donkey patrol to one week later, you're leading a nation. I mean, this is a life altering prophetic moment. He's anointed by Samuel, the prophet. This is a powerful moment. You have a moment like this where you go from being a nobody to the king of a nation in a week. You have Thomas Nelson call you and say, hey, we need you to write a book. We're going to set it all up. You're going to be on Oprah. You're going to be on the tonight show. You're going to travel to every Christian conference around the world. You might even be able to go to faith Bible college in Bangor, Maine. You're going to go all over the world. We're going to put your picture on the front of a book and we're going to title the book King in a week. It'll be a national bestseller. All the celebrity preachers will follow you on Instagram and they'll clap and they'll put their smiley face on your social media. This, this is the kind of a moment when you see it, a king in a week, an overnight success. I think this represents in our world and in the church, how we want God to do it. We love Kings in a week. We love quick greatness. We love the thought that no one will ever tell me to go look for a donkey again. And the Bible says that the king in a week is what the people wanted. And God was faithful to say, that's not my way. That's not my process. That's not the path that I have for you. But often, like we see throughout scripture, God does what he does. He, he pleads his case. He's passionate to say, that's not the way that I want it. I know you just think you're going to meet the love of your life and, and it's going to happen quick and it's going to, you're just going to see him and the, the heavens are going to part and angels are going to sing and say, this is the person I, I know you just want things quick. But most of the time, that's not how God wants to do things, but he'll say, fine, just like he did with Israel. He'll take his hands off and he'll say, you can have it your way. But the Bible says God regretted giving King Saul the throne. So as powerful as this Genesis was, as amazing as this best-selling book is, this King in a Week idea, as, a, as, as much as it would get attention all over the nation, as much as everyone would talk about this guy, this guy, who, where'd this guy come from? Where'd this anointing, where'd this ministry come? Look at this guy, look, look at him, look at his gift. As much as that would happen, the Bible says God looked and he said, I regret could you imagine God saying that to you? Whatever is happening in our life, he looks at it and he says, man, I regret ever giving them that opportunity. I regret that blessing. I regret that open door. I regret that opportunity. I regret that marriage, that spouse. I regret, I regret opening that door for them. And the Bible says that the way that this happens is Saul had this initial experience, this Genesis, where God does something in his life and he takes him from a nobody to a king in a week and he never evolved from that. You know, they say when you're a child that most of your like emotional and mental development happens in such a way that later on in life, you keep going back and trying to work on the things that were said to you as a child, um, were done to you as a child or not said to you as a child or 
or not done for you as a child. A lot of the way you see the world, it happens so before you're even aware of what's happening, your, your whole, your confidence, your sense of value. So many things happen as a child. For example, when you're a child, you and your mom get in a fight and she says something like this, go to your room. She's mad at you. You made a mistake. You did something bad. Go to your room. And so psychologists call this splitting where when something bad happens as a child, you immediately want to get away from the person that the bad thing happened with. So as a child, you're taught if there's anger or there's something that you've done wrong or someone's mad, then you go to your room. You go hide. That's called splitting. So then we grow up, we evolve, and now there's something bad in a relationship, right? We run into a hard thing. We run into a bad thing. And a lot of people never outgrow that mental and emotional idea that you got to get away from that person. So when bad things happen in relationships, we split, we hide, we try to, we try to get away from them. And a lot of times it's just an immature way of going at something. The mom never thought about the long-term impact of that moment. She just wanted you to go to your room. But now we're all of our relationships. We look back at something bad, a hard spot came, a difficult moment came, something we didn't like, something uncomfortable came. And we bounced on the relationship because that's how, what we were taught as a child. And that's what's going on with Saul. Saul never evolved beyond his leader in a day Genesis. It crippled him for the rest of his life. He never graduated from the king in a week way of thinking because Saul believed that the way you know something is God is an overnight success. You see an overnight success, that's God. You see quick greatness, that's God. Something takes time, something's slow, something's just really mundane, doesn't really happen in a way that's flashy. That's not God. Anybody can do that. It's the quick stuff we look at and we say, only God can do that. I warn young people that are highly talented. Could be your singing gift. It could be uh, your stature, your appearance. It could be the family you come from. It could be, or I, I would say this, I encourage anyone that does not have a significant amount of natural gifting to not be deceived by the people that get quick opportunities. Because most of the time that cripples them for the rest of their life. They think it comes easy. They, they think access to, to platforms or access to uh, success. You know, uh, I, I have a guy that is on my board that's built a billion, multi-billion dollar company. And this particular guy says the one person, type of person that he refuses to hire is someone that was a professional athlete. He will not hire him. He said, because from a young age, they were so successful, everyone catered to them. And then you hire them and they expect you to cater to them. What's he saying? He's saying early on, they got the wrong idea. So now they're going to have to actually go make the sale. Now they're going to actually have to manage the team. Now they're going to have to actually get up early and do the work. And they don't understand that because everything happened for the most part in their life because of natural gifting. And this is what we have to be careful of. Everybody wants this king in a week moment. 
this Acts chapter two, right? The mighty rushing wind comes from heaven, dividing tongues, sets a fire, sets on every single one of them. This is a power encounter moment, a leader in a day, right? They walk out of that room, they preach, 3,000 people get saved. This is the king in a week kind of thing, but no one wants to talk about what it took to get to the upper room. No one wants to talk about the path it took to get there, right? The path of three and a half years of every single day being mentored by the Son of God, every single day being coached and counseled and encouraged and discipled and corrected every single day. Then he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he says, hey, by the way, I want you to go for 10 days, wait in one mind in one place, in one accord, hang out there, which by the way, they're just getting over watching Jesus be beat savagely almost to death and then hung on a cross. He just made it out of that. And now the very people that tried to kill him and murder, murder him or did, I guess, and then he, he rose from the dead, those very people are going door to door looking for the apostles and disciples that were hanging out with them. And they're just waiting right there in Jeru Jerusalem, the same city he was just killed in. And they're waiting there because he said to go wait and tarry. Everybody likes the Pentecost experience or moment or the quick thing, but no one likes the path that it took to get to there. We don't like it. No, I, I want the leader in a day gospel. Come on, preach that king in a weak word. That's what we want. But if we never grow up, we create Saul's. We still do our own thing. Might be kings, might be leaders, might be pastors, might be ministers, might be business leaders, but we're still a mess. Our life's still a wreck. We still don't get along with people. We still throw spears at anyone that intimidates us or looks like they have a strength that we don't. We still avoid giants on the battlefield. We still can't forgive. We still can't shut our big mouth. We still can't keep our commitments. We still can't keep our word. We're still not a person who does what they say, but God, give me that, come on, that king in a week fix. Give me that leader in a day fix. So they take the bestseller, they throw it in a trash can. They take that king in a week bestseller. Now it's used for Faith Bible College to heat their buildings in the winter. Saul never sees his destiny fulfilled. His end is so tragic that his family is ripped apart. He commits suicide. His son dies a tragic death right beside him and his legacy is completely destroyed. King David has a similar Genesis. Right, we read it. Okay, so let's just... We're just going to do this real quick. Just a quick little Bible lesson. So we read about it. He's looking for donkeys. This is, this is the real passage. I know it's small, but just get the general idea. He's looking for donkeys. Saul anoints him there. He prophesies there, right? He's made into a different person. One week later, he's king. So there's, I don't know, seven, eight verses from him being a nobody looking for a donkey to being the king of a nation. Now he hides out amongst the stuff. There's some things that, that happen in there, but that's what happens. David. Uh, 
right there is anointed king. Uh, nothing happens there. No, just feeding his dad's sheep. Right? Private battles, private successes, rejection of his, from his dad, betrayed for, by his brothers, right? He's got stuff nobody knows going on, just hard work, just mundane. Uh, no one's going to write a book about it. No, no, one, no one's going to ask him to come on Oprah. No one's going to ask him to come speak at Faith Bible. No, 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 no. There's not, not, nothing about anything he wants. Let's just, but no, not there. No, no, not there. No, not, not there. Come on, surely, I ain't got much time here. I got to, surely God can do something by then. No, um, maybe, come on, God, get, get to it. God, you take, we got to leave the whole book. Now we're going to a whole other book of the Bible now. We're, we're out of that. Uh, is he, oh, oh, well, there he's king over Judah, but God said he'd be king over Israel. So, so Judah, so that's 15 years to there. Still not happened for him yet. What about there? Something happened there? No, no, no. What about there? What about there? Oh, right there. 22 years later. 22 years later, he becomes what God asked him to become. Who wants that? Who wants to come to Bible college and say, maybe 22 years from now, you can start being about what God wants you to do. David was not an overnight success. You say, well, what about David and Goliath? That was pretty overnight, wasn't it? But let's think about it. Because a lot of people miss this part of the story. We hear that David walks down, gets five smooth stones, goes, talks to his brothers, right? Gives them some food, looks at the giant, says, you know what? I think I can kill this giant. Goes to King Saul. King Saul says, sure, here's my armor. Here's a sword. Go at it. He goes out there, kills the giant. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. Because there's this whole part of the story that's really mundane that no one ever talks about. No one likes to talk about it. It's a, it's a really boring part of the body. It's so boring, you never hear about it. What's going on is, you might remember this point where King Saul is facing some demons. This is before Goliath. It's after David's anointed king. This is before Goliath. Saul's got those evil spirits that are plaguing him every night. We hear that part. Now, just a side note, this leader in a day man, this best-selling author, this king in a week guy, he can't handle his own demons. He needs some help. So he starts asking around and one of his servants mentions a guy that takes care of Jesse's sheep on the backside of the desert. And this servant that no one knows talks about how this guy plays a harp. I mean, of all the instruments a guy's gonna play, can you find a better instrument than a harp? I mean, at least play the electric guitar like my, my friend here. You know, a harp, what is that like a harp? Who plays a harp? <laughs> He's hanging out with sheep, mundane, nothing special about this guy, playing a mundane harp. But a mundane servant opens the door for David to play this mundane instrument. 
And now watch this. So when Samuel anointed David, that's not what gave him access to King Saul. Nothing about the power encounter moment opened that door. David served with excellence. And if you read about it, all the things the servant says about David are as the way he handles himself, the way he carries himself, the way he communicates, the way he treats people. It's all this mundane, boring stuff. It's not, it's not, it, it won't make it into a king of the week chapter in the, the, that book. It's not going to make its way into a chapter of that book. But David comes in and he starts to play that harp. And he does it with such excellence that King Saul tells David, everywhere I go, I want you with me. I want you to be my armor bearer. Most people don't know that David was Saul's armor bearer. And everywhere he went, including at night when he slept, David was right there beside him. Every single second of the day, David was his armor bearer. Read your Bible. It's right there. And when he plays, evil spirits leave Saul's life. I love that David could serve with excellence in the face of a leader's demons. You see, David did not serve with excellence because of who Saul was. David served with excellence because it's who he was. In all environments, in all situations, in the good, in the bad, there might even be evil spirits in the room. But David said, I'm on a path. I knew God was calling me. God knew I would be right here. God knew I would be facing Saul's demons. And God knew I would face everything that I faced. Then the day comes. Think about this little detail. David hangs out with the king every day, every night. But his dad, who can't stand him, doesn't want anything to do with him. His brothers, who want nothing to do with him, he still goes and checks in on his dad. He's in the palace. But he still goes and checks in on his dad. You know what his dad still thinks of him? Hey, would you go take some bread to your brothers? And you know what David does? Sure, dad. Be more than happy to do that. He's hanging with a king. He still goes to check in on his dad, who's rejected him, who's overlooked him. And he still does what his dad asks him. He takes his brother's bread on the battlefield. Then he hears Goliath. And then he goes and talks to Saul. So when he talks to Saul about Goliath, Saul has spent every single day with David. Saul has watched David deal with his own demons. So when David says to him, hey, I think I got Goliath. Saul knows David just doesn't talk. Saul knows when David says, hey, I, did, I took out the bear. I took, I took out the lion. Saul knows this isn't a man who plays around. And so he says, man, you've never asked me for anything. You want my armor? You want my weapons? You want my sword? Whatever, whatever you want, you can have it. My question is, can you serve with excellence?
in the face of demons? Can you still worship and honor God when evil spirits are in the room? Can you give your best in the mundane places? Or let me ask you this, how quick do you come up with an excuse to abandon the path that God has you on? But God, you made them a king in a week. God, you made them a a leader in a day. You made them that overnight success. But the Bible says when David would worship, evil spirits would leave Saul. Now notice this. This is my favorite part of that story. And I'm done. I promise I'm done. The Bible says that Saul would feel better. But it never says he would get better. So David knew all Saul ever wanted was a quick fix. Spiritual high, king in a week, leader in a day. That's all Saul wanted. And what did it lead to? A man who could not even handle his own demons. A man who could not even handle his own issues. He had to have some guy from nowhere come in and play a harp for him to just make it through a night of rest. But David served in the mundane places. And hell left every every room he entered. Mundane path. Messy, painful, confusing. 22 years of waiting, being tested. But in the end, David's destiny is fulfilled. Generations are blessed. David's bloodline brings Jesus into the earth. You know what the Bible says? I love this part. Just think about this with me real quick. I promise I'm ending. I got just a few, few more thoughts and we're done and we can just worship and pray for a second. The Bible says that the Lord sought for a man after his own heart, right? The people sought for the king in a week, but God sought for a man after his own heart. God changed Saul's heart. But David was after God's heart. This is the big difference. I hope you catch this. God got a hold of Saul's heart, but David got a hold of God's heart. So it's one thing for God to have your heart. It's quite another for you to have his heart. So this is what no one will talk about anymore. And I'm not so sure it's right. This is for you to judge. So theologically, you've got people here way more astute than I am. God loves us all, right? He doesn't love you. You can't perform and receive his love, right? This, this is Christianity 101. Now let's, let's just kind of bring it down. Let's just kind of bring it down because I don't know how we can ever understand God's love, but we, we do understand that, that there's a personal relationship with us and the Lord, right? And even the description that's given is like the bride, right? The church is the bride and He's the husband, right? That's the whole idea. Last days we're waiting, you know, we're waiting for the husband to come. So if this is true, it's one thing for someone to have your heart. It's another thing for you to have their heart, right? This happens all the time in relationships, am I right? That one person loves that person, the other person doesn't love them back. I'm not saying God does not love us all. I'm saying, let's go one step further beyond just this idea of God loves us all. Cause David kind of goes to this place where God had his heart and God had Saul's heart. 
That's the Bible tells us that. But the Bible doesn't say Saul had God's heart. God had to actually remove him because of what he, he was looking for someone that was after his heart. You see, the, di- the difference would be this. The evidently having God's heart has to do with more than just this, this broad concept of just love. How long have you guys been married? How long? 43 years. Would you say the way you saw love as you began is the way you've kept love alive over 43 years? And you probably would even use different words than, than love because love is like feelings and feel good, right? You'd use words like trust. So maybe what the Bible is saying is David was after God's heart. Maybe, maybe it's something like David got to the point that God could trust him. God could count on him. So one guy's a king in a week. God got a hold of his heart. Another guy took 22 years, but he got a hold of God's heart. He got to the point where God said, this is a guy I can trust. This is a guy I can count on. This is a guy that's going to be there no matter what things look like. Evil spirits can be all around. And if you go to the book of Revelation, if you go to the book of Revelation, the Bible says in the last days, one of the, one of the things he talks about in the church is he's going to give the key of David. Everybody says the key of David's worship. It's all these things. I, I think the key of David, because if you read the passage, it talks about things like endurance, holding on, don't letting anyone take your crown, patience. It doesn't talk about worship talks about when God opens a door, no man can shut it. When God shuts a door, no man can open it. The key of David is I'm on my path and I'm not going to look for anything else other than I'm going to stay focused. I'm on my path. And my goal is I got to get a hold of God's heart. He got a hold of my heart. Now I got to get a hold of his heart. And when he can trust me with more, when he can trust me with opportunity, when he can trust me with this or that, good. If he doesn't, if he never does, What I see in David is in the end, his destiny was fulfilled. And I would rather be someone, it takes me 80 years of staying faithful, but my destiny is fulfilled at the end than to get it quick and it ruins my legacy, ruins my destiny and ruins my future. Amen. And so can we stand up to our feet? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. I'm I'm finished. Anybody ever just had a, just a powerful, just moment with God, like what David and Saul did, where the oil, the anointing, the prophecy, but then after that's over, it's just like, man, this is hard. This is difficult. This is a grind. I can't stand people. (laughs) People drive me crazy. God, I think you should have just stuck with that whole flood thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> just got rid of us, you know, <laughs> just, 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 just I, how you gave your only son for the people I meet. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm on my path. I'm on my path. 
Thank, for, thank you for the power moments, God. Thank you for them. So grateful. I remember when I was 16 years old and I heard about your love for the first time. And I went to an altar and I gave my life to you. You changed my life forever. I can remember when I went to a conference, a youth conference that summer and said, God, I want you to use me. And I answered that call. And now I look back 26 years ago and I look at some of these young people. And I had a dream. I really wanted you to use me in a great way. But I got my eyes on the wrong things along the way. I started comparing myself to the kings in a week. I, I resented that you were hiding me. I resented that you were protecting me. When others didn't include me in their circle, I thought there was something wrong with me. But the truth is that you were protecting me. Every door you closed, you were, you were looking out for me. You were... You are being a good father. Making sure that I would stay on the path that you had for me. So today I end with just this idea that I hope that you'll give these young people the key of David. Patience and endurance. Hold on. Don't let anyone take their crown. And God, let them live with that revelation. When you open a door, no man can shut it. And when you shut a door, may no man ever open it. May that be the key in their life, that they'll live knowing you are faithful to open every door you have for them. In Jesus' name. God, no quick fixes. No, no overnight successes. God, just those mundane miracles, I pray in this room, those mundane, just play the harp and hell trembles kind of people. Nobody may know their name, but God, they're going to be faithful to the path that you have them on in Jesus name. Can we just lift our hands in his presence? And just begin to, just with a heart of gratitude, just thank God for the path that he has us on. Come on, every financial difficulty, every relationship that failed, everyone that you thought should believe in you and they didn't. You hoped that they would say something. You, you hoped that they'd see something in you and they just, they didn't. You, you hoped that they would be there and they abandoned you. And, but all of it is the path. It's the path. God's looking out for you. I'm telling you, God's looking out for you. If they abandoned you, can I just help you out? Can I, I'm just going to help you out. It's because God didn't want them in your life. It has nothing to do with you. If they overlooked you, it's because God don't want it to be seen yet. It's, it's okay. And Father, I thank you. And I praise you for the path that you have each young person in this room on. Let them stay faithful. Let them stay committed. Let them keep their mind focused on that path that you have for them in Jesus' name. 
for listening to this podcast. If you would like to know more about Faith Bible College International, please go to faithbci.org. And find out how you can enroll in our programs or partner with our mission. Again, thank you for listening to FBCI Podcast. Join us next time for more teaching and encouragement. Remember, you make a world of difference. 